0: talk about in this episode is entitled Hitler's Willing Executioners subtitled Ordinary Germans and the Holocaust by Daniel Jonah Goldhagen published by Alfred Knopf 1996 This is a very heavy book literally and figuratively, literally because it is uh, 621 pages, figuratively because of the topic of the Holocaust. I have read many books on the Holocaust and every time I read them I am uh, just horrified by the things that I read and this book is certainly no exception. You come away from reading a book like this without uh, much sense of hope. You try to understand but it's a very difficult task to find uh, a way to understand the Holocaust. Having said that, I think as uh, humans we do need to process and come to some kind of understanding of the Holocaust because of what it meant for what we consider to be the most advanced civilization ever in the 20th century. But we can't understand the 20th century without in some way understanding the Holocaust and trying to understand both the perpetrators and the consequences for the victims. Goldhagen contends that his perspective on understanding the perpetrators is very new. Uh, It has not been presented before and that's very true. I've read many books about the Holocaust which try to get at the question of why did the Germans do this What was it that that caused this kind of inhumanity to this particular depth? And this is an unusual um, book, uh, a unique book in this respect of the answer that he gives. Let me set the stage with with what the problem is and then what his thesis is in response to the way that the problems have been uh, formulated in other studies. Most of the explanations about the perpetrators, the Germans, operate from the assumption that the Germans had a certain morality and that somehow that morality, that sense of right and wrong, had to be somehow circumvented and that is the reason why the Germans uh, became willing executioners. There, he, he gives five basic types of these explanations. Let me summarize those very quickly. The first is that of coercion, meaning the killers could not say no. They, they were coerced into doing it against their wills. The second is obedience, which is that they were following orders and they had to follow orders and German society is structured in such a way that you simply follow orders if you are given them. The third explanation is situational pressure, meaning that the Germans were psychologically incapable of saying no under these circumstances. The fourth, self-interest contends that the Germans had sufficient personal incentives to kill in order not to want to say no. So the personal incentive might be that they're getting something out of it. The fifth explanation is he calls bureaucratic myopia, which claims that it never occurred to the perpetrators that this was actually happening because there were so many small pieces to it that were Uh, would have to have been put together, that you would not have been able to really figure it out. You just do your job in the bureaucracy and ultimately Jews are killed, but you don't really know that. His explanation, which truly does deviate from all of those, is... And uh, let me quote Is that the perpetrators, ordinary Germans, were animated by anti Semitism, by the particular type of anti Semitism that led them to conclude that the Jews ought to die? Simply put, the perpetrators, having consulted their own convictions and morality, and having judged the mass annihilation of Jews to be right, did not want to say no. Page 14. Now let me repeat that one section. The perpetrators having consulted their own convictions and morality. Once he has put out that thesis, then he puts together the proof of that thesis in some very significant um, research. He builds his case by suggesting that one take the point of a sociologist who is investigating a particular society, and you can know something about that society by whatever they consider to be important, whatever is considered to be like just common sense. This is the way we do things, which is a concept of ethics and morality, which comes out of a concept that ethics are simply the customs of a society. He says that if you were to go and study the Aztecs, you would find that human sacrifice was just common sense. It was taken for granted. It wasn't, it was so much a part of the society that it was simply accepted. So there's not a moral issue, it's simply what you do. By the same token, if you were to study German society and go back to uh, the history of Germany, you would find in there that a defining feature of German society is antisemitism. It had been there for decades, if not centuries, that antisemitism characterized German society. And it's a particularly virulent antisemitism, more deadly than that which you would find in other European nations uh, of the time. And this pretty much flies in the face of the concept that a madman came to lead the Germans, led them astray, and um, put the extermination of the Jews as a centerpiece of his um, organization and his plan. What Goldhagen suggests is that the desire to exterminate the Jews was so deep-seated, so widespread, that all Hitler was doing was stoking the fires that were already there and organizing to accomplish what Germans had wanted done all along. I have to take a deep breath because it, it, it's a very chilling thesis, and yet one that he makes a very good case for. The first evidence in defending his thesis is that Europeans' antisemitism is a corollary of Christianity, and this is very true. As a student of Christian history, I know the strength of anti-Semitism that begins early on in the development of the church. He places the view of the Jews in a juxtaposition such as this. If the Jews, the people of God, shunned the Messiah that God had promised them, then something was awry. Either the Messiah was false, or the people had gone profoundly astray, perhaps tempted by the devil himself. Page 49. And Christians, by and large, opted for the latter, that there was something wrong with the Jews, and therefore They must have been tempted by the devil, but they they become not just um, heretics, but evil people. He takes many quotations from the Bible and from literature throughout the centuries to build his case, and it's not difficult to find that evidence. And the evidence continues to expand in that if anything bad happens in the world, an economic downturn, the Black Death, uh, a war, all of those are blamed on the Jews and are given an excuse for people to then attack and kill Jews, which happens throughout the centuries. The depth of the hatred of the Jews is evident even in one of the uh, creators of the Protestant Revolution, uh, Re- Reformation, Martin Luther, who was considered to be the initiator of the church which I served for so many years, the Lutheran Church, which has its roots, obviously, in Germany. And Luther's uh, concepts are, are horrific in terms of the kinds of things that he suggests for Jews and the fact that Jews are unredeemable. And when the... Catholic Church uh, fought with Luther in, as he was trying to reform the church. The Catholic Church even called him a Jew as one of the lowest things that they could possibly reduce him to. But if we think of the kinds of things that Luther and the church were doing, the way in which they were discriminating and the words that they were using for Jews, we can begin to understand what's happening in German society from that point on. Both Catholics and Protestants exhibited severe anti-Semitism. In most cases, not so much wanting that the Jews should be annihilated, but that they should be converted. And if they can't be converted, then they should be in some way rejected and degraded. So that kind of sets the stage uh, in terms of the attitudes of the Germans, which uh, were more virulent, as I said before, than anything that is found amongst the French or the Russians or uh, the Poles or the English, anybody. There were, all of those societies had anti-Semitism characteristics, but nothing to the depth of what the Germans had, uh, according to Goldhagen's research. Now let's fast forward to the 20th century, and particularly the early 20th century, when it seems that Jews have been given some um, freedoms within the Society of Germany. In the late 1800s, the split, uh, the attitude towards the Jews was beginning to form in the political parties of the time under Chancellor uh, Bismarck. Jews had been able to make some inroads and to be hired into some of the civil service positions and were to some extent gaining some rights particularly from marrying um, full-blooded Germans, uh, they were finding that there were ways in which they could find some kind of um, place in society in any case. But at one point, a newspaper in 1892 made the comment about the Conservative Party, which was thoroughly anti-Semitic, in its charter and said that this anti-Semitic conservative party is really nothing new in content, but it has become demagogic, which is uh, indicating the depth of the anti-Semitism and the reaction to the Jews. World War One did nothing to change things, and in fact, in many cases, it made it worse because People accused the Jews of not having joined the army. They accused them of being the uh, perpetrators of the Versailles Treaty. They accused the Jews of having funded the opposition to the Germans in uh, World War I. So when we see the young Hitler come on the scene in 1920 to make one of his first appearances, spouting anti-Semitic themes, he is not, his attitude is not new. It's nothing that hasn't been said before. And in fact, is um, extremely uh, uh, articulate in demanding not just the exclusion of the Jews, but the elimination of the Jews in the 1920s. And in fact, it is in this section where he begins to use the term eliminationist antisemitism. The intent is to exterminate and totally annihilate the Jews, not just exclude them from society. Now Hitler comes to power in 1933 after some incredible twists and turns of the political system. Not in a majority sense, but he is able to gain power through a variety of machinations. And it is then that we begin to see the accuracy of Goldhagen's thesis, that the anti-Semitism is so much a part of common sense that it's simply accepted. It is then that that the policies of the Nazi party begin to take over. But again, be reminded it is not Nazism that is creating these ideas, they have already existed. One of the first things that takes place is a boycott of Jewish businesses. And during this period of time, On the whole, people accepted the boycott and um, did as they were requested and didn't question whether or not this was the right thing to do. Following that, Jews were excluded from the civil service, meaning universities, any public service place, universities, uh, government, they were fired from their jobs just immediately fired. Even though some of them had been there for 20 years or most of their careers, they were simply fired and let go. The response of the German people, on the whole, to let it be. To not respond to something so egregious. And then later on, with the help of the party, the enabling laws are passed, which make it possible for Jews to be kicked out of their homes, their businesses taken away, and they begin to be deported to camps. But first a footnote about worldwide anti-Semitism, because it's important to note that initially what what Hitler did was to say, He he just wanted to get the Jews out of Germany, and he offered for them to go to other places. Um, If other countries would take them, then he would allow them to go, supposedly. Um, Many Jews attempted to leave the country, but they were prevented either, either through visa issues or that other countries, particularly the United States, would not accept them they wouldn't open their doors even though they knew what was happening to the jews in many cases from another book which i read about by the ambassador to germany at that time uh, the political parties were simply saying well the jews brought this on themselves so now they're just having to accept the consequences so the doors were closed to jews throughout the world and that also then gave Uh, Hitler both the opportunity and, as he saw it, the necessity to deal with the Jews in the manner in which he did. But soon as the Jews were being rounded up, again, the question is, why did no one speak up for them? Where were the churches? Where were the uh, advocates for the Jews? There were some. Who, who spoke, but they were very few. And on the whole, his body of research shows that what the churches did was even to accept the concept of purity in their congregations, and those Jews who had converted to Christianity were sent away, were no longer welcome in the Lutheran and the Catholic churches uh, to... Uh, to an an astonishing extent. So again, those who should have advocated for them did not. And it proves his thesis that what was behind the attitude towards the Jews was this deep-seated anti-Semitism within the German people. There are massive amounts of Other evidence that is given, but let me concentrate on a couple of things to help how he is making his case about the attitude towards the Jews. The Jewish camps were not seen as camps where they are being utilized as slaves because in most cases the Jews were not seen as even being worthy of being slaves. And so the camps became... places of torture, places to torment Jews and make them suffer before they died. And the way in which this was done was through starvation, through beatings, through meaningless work. The one Jew, uh, Jewish survivor talked about how they were sent to a corner of the camp with, and had to move rocks and sand using their hats and then take them to another place. Meanwhile, running the gauntlet of the guards, beating on them, drop the things that they had at that point until they had built a pile and then they would reverse it. So the intensity of the torture of the humiliation is its absolutely unbelievable. He shows how in the ghettos and throughout the cities where Jews were confined or were taken out, the one of the intentions of the Nazis and of the German people was the humiliation of the Jews. To make them socially dead was the first step of this whole process. Making them socially dead so that they were not even noticed or thought of even above uh, animals or or vermin. He makes the case that if the Jew, if the Germans' attitude towards the Jews had been somewhat different, uh, somewhat less virulent, they would have had uh, two or three million slave workers in the nation that they could have uh, used for production but they so hated the Jews that they didn't even want to give them anything that was meaningful in terms of meaningful work or um, making them part of the production, the war production. This reveals a depth of hatred that is uh, uh, unbelievable. Another example that he gives, and he goes into great detail in this, about the killing squads that were recruited by the uh, German army to go out and to, as as the army would uh, move forward and go through villages, the killing squads would come behind and uh, take all the Jews out of the village and then kill them, Um, have them dig the pits and that sort of thing. And it's done in such detail that it's absolutely chilling and and frightening how much detail. But he gives that detail, he says, in order to make his case that it wasn't just about killing Jews. It's not just about eliminating them, but it's making them brutalized. It's making them subhuman. It's making them suffer to the greatest possible extent before they die. So that you can see the kind of hatred that is there, that is different from other genocides even, in that most other genocides are done where uh, people are simply massacred and and uh, the one dominant group tries to eliminate the other one. But in this instance, with the way in which the Germans treat the Jews, they are brutalizing them, humiliating them, making them suffer as much as possible because that's what they they see in their minds as what the Jews deserve because the Jews are, as they so often say, subhuman, uh, uh, evil, demonic. The, those are the kinds of terms that are used over and over, not just by the Nazis, but also by ordinary Germans. In any case, there is a very in-depth analysis of the police battalions. These are just ordinary Germans that are recruited to go and uh, kill Jews in cities as the army moves along. And they willingly do this. And this makes his case as well of how, uh, how common it was for Jews to be dehumanized by Germans. They would take pictures of one another killing Jews. Pictures of how they have brutalized and how they kill women and children, and the the glee with which they do it, which you might think might be uh, the sort of thing that people in a wartime situation might um, be overcome by the violence and become cold to it, but his case is that in the, in the instance of the police battalions, the the uh, energy, the enthusiasm that they put into their task is evidence that it's not a matter of, of uh, PTSD or some kind of dead perpetrator, some kind of uh, someone who has lost their heart. They bring their wives uh, to, to view the, the beatings and the killings, uh, which is further evidence of the kind of acceptance that there was of what they had done. And just to reiterate, throughout uh, 300 pages, it's one atrocity after another. And using those atrocities, that brutality, that kind of uh, pitilessness that is shown towards the Jews is evidence of the way in which the German people were thinking at the time. Even after people knew that there were hundreds and hundreds of camps throughout Germany and Poland. Uh, People did nothing to respond to that. Of course, we have a few examples, like Schindler's List and and a few like that, but those are so few and far between that the real question is, why did not more people respond? Why did not more Germans uh, accept some kind of responsibility or do some kind of protest. People protested even, as he said, the euthanasia program, which was to take out, the, to um, euthanize the disabled and those who were in insane asylums. That happened early on. People protested that. And uh, he makes a really good case that that did not happen for the people uh, who recognized what was happening to the Jews. There were no true advocates for the Jews. There were voices here and there, but no true advocates, which also makes his case very strongly That uh, of, of what his thesis is. So I'm going to uh, just, well, how should we assess this then? I, I think he makes a really good case, which it surprised me when I started to read some of the reviews of the book, because there were some... Very critical um, reviewers and people who were Holocaust uh, um, researchers also said his methods were flawed. He was proof texting. He wasn't using appropriate um, uh, documents. He was picking and choosing what he wanted to use. I, on the other hand, felt like he made a really strong case uh, that it he showed the depth of the anti-Semitism and even if it is a condemnation of an entire nation then at least that can begin to be dealt with rather than brushing it under the carpet and saying oh you know it was a one time thing because this does I think indicts our, our uh, humanity of the 20th century the kind of thing that uh, of who we are needs to be confronted if one nation that is so advanced and so powerful can have this kind of an attitude then what else uh, can we end up looking forward to in the future i think the the fact the reality and the truth of his thesis comes in two pictures that he lists one which is on the cover of the book. It shows a a Nazi rally in 1935 with 100,000 people present. And there are two banners that are gigantic, like you would have in a stadium that can be seen from everywhere. Two banners, one of which says, The Jews are our misfortune, and the second one says women and girls the jews are your ruin when you are at a rally you would put something that is meant to rally people something that shows your primary ideals and to me that does to to utilize banners which show which demonstrate an enemy rather than a strength of your own or Something that is complimentary to your party shows to me the depth of, the, uh, of their hatred. The second picture was of a German soldier with a rifle shooting a victim two feet away. So this is a photograph. It, and the person who he's shooting is a, a young mother holding a child. And he's shooting her in the head. That too, to me, is demonstrative of the truth of his thesis uh, and, and demonstrated very thoroughly through his research and those pictures. This just illustrates a tragic story of a tragic event which somehow we still must come to terms with.